Okay, so uh, we're in Colossians, as Paul said. This is the fourth week. I think it's going to be eight, I think. We'll see. Um, last week, we, we looked at the fourth little section of Scripture, which was entitled The Doctrine of Christ. And that was rich, and it was wonderful stuff. Uh, the section today is entitled, really, The Mystery of Christ. And today we're going to be looking at uh, chapter 1, verse 24, through to chapter 2, verse 5. And we're going to dive straight in. I'm actually going to read the first five verses of chapter 2 first, and then we'll refer back to the end, the last few verses of chapter 1 in a bit. So here we go, Colossians 2, verse 1. I want you to know, this is Paul writing, of course, I want you to know how much I have agonized for you and for the church at Laodicea and for many other believers who have never met me personally. I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I'm telling you this so no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. For though I am far away from you, my heart is with you. And I rejoice that you are living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. Okay, so verse four there is a reminder really that there is deception in circulation. The growing threat, as we saw last week, of, of pluralism, multiple religions, and, and, and particularly this kind of Gnostic philosophy um, that was, was a threat to two things, really. First of all, the, the teaching about the lordship and the deity of Christ. And secondly, the purity and the sufficiency of the gospel. So Paul writes, verse 4, I'm telling you this so that no one will deceive you with well-crafted arguments. And then he says, in the, in the face of all that, he then commends them again for their faith and for their faithfulness. Verse 5, for though I am far away from you, my heart is with you. And I rejoice that you are living as you should and that your faith in Christ is strong. Paul says, even though I am afar, even though I am in prison many miles from here, I want you to know how much I have agonized for you. I want you to know that my heart is with you. I am with you in spirit. I want you to know that, that I rejoice when I hear that you are living as you should, defined by your strong faith in Christ. And that is the true Christ as he's just laid out in, in chapter 1 verses 15 through 20 as we saw last week, Christ who is the creator of all, Christ, who is the fullness of God. Christ, who is the first and the preeminent one. And Christ, who is the great reconciler. And Paul says, you know, as I think of you, as I pray for you, as I write this letter to you, I, this, this is what I want for you. And then in verse 2, he says, I want you to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I love that. Two words there. The first word is the word encourage. Paul says, I want you to be encouraged. The Greek word is the word parakaleo. 
The word, the word kaleo is, is the verb to call, and a para is a prefix meaning to, to one's side. You might be familiar with the with parakletos, one of the names of the Holy Spirit. So encouragement is when someone is called alongside you to exhort you and to comfort you and to instruct you and to build you up. What Paul is saying here is in a world in which discouragement is never far away. Anyone notice that? In a world where discouragement is never far away, Paul's hope is that they be encouraged they be filled with a courage that can cope with any situation. Makes you think of Paul. Paul's under house arrest here. He's chained to a Roman guard day and night. He's awaiting his inevitable death sentence. And no doubt Paul is, is grateful for those that had traveled to visit and to encourage him. The second word is the word knit together. Again, two parts. The first one is the, is the prefix meaning together. And the second word is bibadzo, which means to force. So it literally means to force together. It means joined together in affection. It means pulled together in mind. It, mean, it means gathered and it means united. Paul's hope here is for a unity of spirit, free from malice, free from discord, free from gossip, free from cliqueiness, free from undermining. Why? Because they have been knitted together. And he goes on to say, knitted together in love. And of course, there are several Greek words that, that Paul could have used for love, but, but as we would anticipate, as we would predict, he uses the word agape, that they might be knit together with agape, with this sacrificial giving and unconditional and unfailing, the God kind of love as modeled by Jesus. Paul says to these Colossian Christians, he says, this is my hope. I want you to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of agape love. Do you know why? Because they're going to need it. That's exactly what they're going to need as this opposition grows and as the false teaching continues to spread. Then he goes on to say, I want you to have complete confidence that you understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. So on top of that, on top of the encouragement, on top of the knitting together in love, I want you to have confidence. The implication here is complete confidence. I want you to have full assurance to understand what Paul describes, and if you read it in the NIV, he describes it as the mystery of, of God, namely Christ, which leads us, I think, neatly to this, this word mystery, which is a concept that dominates chapter 1, verses 24 through 29, which I'm going to read now. Verse 24 says, Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. 
I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Verse 28, we proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end, I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. To the key verse here in the middle, verse 27, to them, talking to the saints, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. This mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And he also describes it, verse 26, as the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. Okay, so this word mystery, it appears 27 times in the New Testament. And the word mystery doesn't mean something, something eerie or scary, as in tales of the unexpected. The word mystery literally means a hidden thing. Now, for the Gnostics, the word mystery described the inner secrets of their religious philosophies. And of course, they loved the idea of mystery because, because then they could set themselves apart as the, the enlightened ones, the ones, the only ones who really got it. But here, Paul is bursting their bubble by unveiling Jesus as, verse 26, the mystery. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. Now, in the Bible, mystery, mystery is truth that stays hidden until God reveals it. And of course, as we look back, now knowing what we do, we know that there are hundreds, literally hundreds of clues about Jesus the Messiah embedded in the text of the Old Testament. There are so many prophetic pictures and, and metaphors, what we call types and shadows spread all through the Old Testament narrative. And we see Jesus the Messiah in, in key characters and key events. We see him all the way through the sacrificial system that, of course, they were so familiar with. What we see it in the, in the priesthood. And we even see it in the design and the furniture of the temple. And actually so much more. You see, the Jews, the Jews had clues they knew they needed rescuing, and they knew that a Messiah had been promised. But other than that, it was all a mystery. They knew about Abraham's seed. They knew about David's everlasting throne. They clung to the hope of a savior and the promise of a Messiah. But of course, what they didn't understand was that the Savior would have to suffer and die in order to pay the price for, for their sin, to, to take on their curse, to satisfy the requirements of the law, and ultimately to conquer and disarm Satan. Even though they had wonderful seminal passages like, like Isaiah 53, 
suffering servant, like, like Isaiah 9, unto us a child is born. Like Psalm 22, which talked all about that suffering. But, but, but you know, all of that was, was still to them a mystery. It was, if you like, hidden in plain sight. And now Paul is saying, as he writes the Colossians, you know, that God has now opened your eyes. God has now uncovered the mystery and revealed to you Jesus. Romans 16, 25. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. Colossians 4 verse 3, I pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Of course, this, this idea of unveiling something that had been previously hidden was extremely poignant to Paul himself. Think back to Saul of Tarsus, devout Pharisee and zealous persecutor of the church, who the Lord literally knocked off his high horse. And while his natural eyes were blinded, his spiritual eyes were dramatically opened. Now he could see everything in a completely different light because what had previously been a mystery had to him been revealed. Now there's much we could say about, about this mystery, but today we're, we're simply going to look at, at three things that Paul teaches here in Colossians 1 and 2. The first one, number one, is, is that the mystery is Christ himself. Colossians 2, verse 2, again, I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ himself. In him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What a statement. Christ himself is the mystery. Christ himself is the answer. He is the solution. He is the revelation. He is the treasure. Christ himself is the way and the truth and the life. Christ himself is the Passover lamb that brought them deliverance from captivity. Christ himself is the brazen serpent that Moses raised on the pole to bring healing to the snake-bitten Hebrews in the wilderness. Christ himself is the rock that Moses struck with his staff from which water flowed to refresh God's people. Christ himself was the, was the cloud by day and the fire by night that guided them through the desert. Christ himself was the sacrificial lamb that Abraham and Isaac found caught in the thicket. Jehovah Jireh, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. Christ himself is the great shepherd, the one who lays down his life for his sheep. Christ himself is the temple veil that was torn in two. He was the flesh that was broken to, 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 div to divide, to, to bridge that divide and, and to give us all access to God's wonderful presence. 
thank you. There's a wonderful line which is attributed to St. Augustine, which says this, the new is in the old concealed, and the old is in the new revealed. Christ in the flesh is the fulfillment to all of that mystery. The second thing we learn about the mystery from this passage, number two, is the riches and glory of Christ are for the Gentiles too. Colossians 1, that's us, amen. <laughs> Colossians 1, most of us, I see most of us. Colossians 1, verse 27, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. One of the great challenges, of course, for the early church and for those first apostles was, was how did the gospel relate to the Gentiles? Gentiles, of course, were regarded by, by the religious Jews as outsiders. They were unclean. They were aliens, as in strangers, not, not outer space kind of aliens. You know, but in spite of this, the Gentiles were loved by God as his own children. The Gentiles, too, were image bearers. Just the same need for rescue and just the same need for reconciliation. And in truth, the Jews did not see this coming. They had not seen this coming, but they, they should have. You see, to them, this was a mystery. I think, I always think, you've got to love God's wonderful and ironic humor in choosing this highfalutin Pharisee called Paul. Pharisee literally means one who is separate. They, they were a sect built on exclusivity. And yet Paul was the one that Jesus, that the Lord chose to bring the gospel to the Gentile peoples. Later on, Colossians 3 verse 11, here there is no Greek or Jew circumcised or uncircumcised, bar circumcised barbarian, Scythian, slave or free. But Christ is all and is in all. Romans 10 verse 11, as the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. 4 verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, will be saved. Amen. And so we, we take this for granted. But for them, back in, in those days, Jew and Gentile alike, this, this development literally moved heaven and earth. The message of the gospel is for Jew and Gentile. It's for male and female. It's for slave and free alike. Not the reality is this teaching would not have been popular in certain circles. If you think about it, both religious Judaism and this kind of Gnostic mystical philosophy were both very, very exclusive. Ephesians 1 verse 9, And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ, to put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Number three, the third part of this mystery simply is Christ lives in 
you. Verse 27 again, uh, chapter one. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, a few weeks ago on Easter Sunday, we read John chapter three, which is, which is all about Nicodemus's conversation with Jesus, if you remember that. And Jesus there in verse three, John 3, 3, told Nicodemus, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And you can tell as you read through that narrative, you can tell from Nicodemus's reaction that this to him was utterly mysterious. And here's the mystery that the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you at the moment of salvation. So this changes everything. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? You no longer have to go to the temple, you are the temple. You don't need tablets of stone. The truth has been written on your heart. God's presence need not be elusive because you carry him with you everywhere you go. And Christ in you is the hope of glory. The word glory is kind of means this shining, radiant, magnificence of God, the word kabod, this kind of weighty presence. And you know, because Christ is in us, we can all have hope, that's confident expectation, that we will see the glory of the King. Remember Moses hiding in the cleft of the rock and saying to God, show me your glory. I don't know about you, but that, that's our cry too. The good news is when people see the glory of the king, then they'll come running. Verse 27 in the Passion Translation says, living within you is Christ who floods you with the expectation of glory. This mystery of Christ embedded within us becomes a heavenly treasure chest of hope filled with the riches of glory for his people. God wants everyone to know it. Okay, let's kind of tie this together now. It goes on to say in verse 28 of chapter one, we proclaim him, proclaim Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. He says, to this end, I labor. And so Paul is expressing his mandate as an apostle here. He says, this is what I'm laboring for. And it's this, to present you to God perfect in Christ. The word uh, perfect in the Greek is the word teleos. And again, of course, you can imagine that was another favorite Gnostic word. And literally that, that word means finished. It means complete. It means brought to finality, wanting nothing. We would, use, we would use the word mature. In other words, the objective for all of us is mature 
in our relationship with Christ. That we become grown up, no longer a child or a novice, but an adult in the faith. To that end, Paul says, I proclaim Christ, I admonish Christ, and I teach Christ. To that end, I'm, I'm laboring and I'm, I'm striving, I'm praying, even verse 24, even suffering. And the word translated struggling or striving in, in chapter 1, verse 29, and chapter 2, verse 1, it is the word agonizme. And it's an athletic term, meaning, meaning the strenuous effort of a runner trying to win a race. And the word translated labor in verse 29 implies growing weary. It implies exhausted with toil. That's what Paul is doing for these people with the end that they be presented mature in their relationship with the Lord. But I want you to notice in that straining, stressing, in that agonizmai, in that contending, in that, that endeavor, in that struggling, Paul says, he says this. He says, I am struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. Quick look at the Greek words there. He's struggling with all his energy. That's the word dunamis, which is the word we use for that supernatural power, which so powerfully worked, and it's dunamis energio in me. So it's so important we know, we, we understand that, that it's the power of the Holy Spirit that is that is the enabling. It's that anointing, which, which is the strength that we need for service. If we really want to produce fruit, if we really want to fulfill our mandate, if we really want to serve the church, if we really want to contend for the lost, it must be dunamis energio, or it will be in vain. Okay, just all this together with a little bit of application that I'm going to give you a, a response challenge for this morning. Application number one, pretty straightforward really. It must be centered on Jesus if you want it to be free from deception. You know, the material in Colossians 1 and Colossians 2 may be theological and it may be doctrinal, but grasping that the simple underlying truth is the key to staying firmly grounded. Paul actually unfolds this practically in the next couple of chapters. But the point is, always take everything back to Jesus. Always weigh everything up in the light of his teaching. Don't be afraid to ask that powerful question, WWJD, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus say? How would Jesus think? How would Jesus respond? So application number one, it must be centered on Jesus if you want it to be free from deception. And that's part of the reason we come on a Sunday and we sing these songs because all around us there's sinking sand. All around us, there are deceptions and distractions. The world is thick and full of it. But we need to get ourselves, make sure we are back on that rock every single week whose name is Jesus. Application number two is this. Don't be surprised that the gospel is a mystery to the world. You know, it's obvious to us 
because it's been revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. It's literally that that hidden truth has been uncovered and now we can see it. Wonderful little verse in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4 says, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They're unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. And contained in that verse, I'm convinced, is a great prayer that we can pray over our unbelieving friends and family. Lord, would you remove those demonic blinkers so they can see the light whose name is Jesus? Which makes our assignment to help them see that the answer to all that mystifies them is Jesus. So in any conversation, in, in any dilemma, in any controversy, in any disagreement, point them to Jesus. Because until that mystery is revealed, everything else will remain in the dark. And then third application is this. Paul loved the church. And so should we. You know, he uses strong words in this passage. He uses words like agonized and contended and, and toiled. You know, it says that he labored for the church. He, he prayed for it. He wept over it. And ultimately, he gave his life for it. And in this case, for, for a group of people he hadn't even personally met. So here's our challenge with that in mind. Three parts of the challenge day. Number one is, who are you encouraging? You know, and I really hope you are. Please resist all temptation to discourage. Please resist all temptation to shoot down. There's already so much of that. Let me ask the question, who are you encouraging? Question number two, are you knitting together or are you tearing apart? You know, the Bible is very strong on the importance of unity and, and the imperative that we have to guard it. How precious is that unity to you? And, I, and are you intentionally trying to knit together rather than tearing apart? And then the third one is in all of that. And in fact, in all of this in this passage, Paul pulls it, brings it back to dunamis energio. You know, the reality is if you, are, if you are trying and striving in your own strength, you will ultimately and inevitably either implode or explode. But the good news, you have Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so it's crucial that you learn to draw upon energio dunamis. It's crucial that you learn to trust it. You learn to yield to and draw from it because you have access to all the divine strength you could possibly need. And, you know, as I was kind of pondering how we, we best respond to that, I mean, the first two questions are good, they're valid, but I really felt that we needed to zoom in on this one. And I have a suspicion, if you're anything like me, you've all got a busy life, you're all looking at your watches now thinking, when's he going to finish this? I've got 25 things to do this afternoon. 
Right, Monday morning is coming with alarming speed, and goodness knows how I'm going to cope with that. You're looking back over your shoulder thinking, how do I get out of bed this morning? I'm so exhausted. This life is tough. I exaggerate for dramatic effect. But, you know, one of the beauties I'm convinced of coming to church on a Sunday is it's coming to the oasis for a drink. You know, I don't know about you, but, you know, this thing runs out of battery so frequently. Perhaps it's because it's old. It needs to be charged into the power socket and refreshed, brought back up to 100%. And I suspect we'll all feel a bit like that today. And I hope you've come, and I hope those worship songs that you've sung, and I hope the richness of Colossians this morning has fed you and has, has, has filled you and has stirred you. But Monday morning's coming. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask the worship team if they wouldn't mind coming to the front. We've got about 10 or so minutes before the kids are ready to be collected. And what we're going to do is we're going to sing a response song, and I'm going to invite you to open your hearts, open your eyes, open your minds, and open your arms wide, and just say, Lord, I need that dunamis energio. Because I've been striving, I've been agonizing, I've been contending, I've been laboring, but maybe I've been doing some of it in my own strength. But I know that I know that I know that I have Christ in me, and he is the hope of glory. And like Paul, I need to learn to yield to and to trust in that dunamis energia. So what we're going to do is I invite you to stand. Stand, stand. Well done. And then we're going to sing. And I'm going to invite you to pray and just ask God to fill you up. But further than that, if you are feeling a little weary today, and if you really do feel you could do with a dose of that empowerment, that enabling, that, that strengthening to get you through the next few days, I'm going to invite you to come to the front, somewhere across here, and then the ministry team and some of the leaders and, and I will pray over you and just pray for an impartation of dunamis energia. And my hope is that no one limps out of the building today but everyone leaps out and strides out because you've met with the Lord and because he's filled you and because he is more than enough. He is sufficient and he's given you all that you need. So we're going to sing. Feel free to come forward. If you don't want anyone to pray for you, I suggest you go over that side. That's kind of how we do it. If you would like someone to pray for you, come over here and we gladly do just that. We'll let this run for a few minutes and then Paul as host will, will wrap up for us. Please, thank you.